Welcome. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Aletheia. Um, so glad that you're here this morning with us. If you guys are a visitor, we would love to connect with you. If you can, before you leave, please stop by the welcome desk, fill out a connection card uh, if you've not already done so. I'm excited this morning to expound on this beautiful passage of scripture that has been so comforting that my beautiful wife just read for us a few moments ago. Uh, this passage is one of the most well-known passages in scripture. Like, I'm sure most of you have heard it, read it, memorized it, studied it. It has been a comfort to countless generations over the last like 3,000 years since it was written. And it is such a comfort in times that are tough. And it seems like now, just like always before, we need this comfort in our lives. We're living in this weird, uncertain time. We're coming out of a global pandemic where people were worried over health concerns, over disease, over death, and people are still worried over those things. Tensions are high on the international stage. There's a war going on in Europe. The US is, is competing against its rivals, and tensions are high. Prices on goods and services just keep going up and up and up. I think the price is down a little bit this week in gas, which is a blessing, but it's still like twice what it was last year, not last year, two years ago. And it just keeps going up and up and up. And it's no wonder considering these things that people are struggling with stress and worry and anxiety, depression and fear. <clears throat> well now, just like always before, we need a good shepherd. And for that, we're going to turn to Psalm 23. Now, it seems like this psalm is so well-loved because it shows not only the provision of God, but also how close he is to all of us and how much he cares for us. Over the past two weeks here, we've been studying through the psalms. Pastor Kevin and Pastor Daniel preached good God-honoring sermons about the majesty and splendor of God, how great and how powerful he is, the vastness of his creation, and the glory of his divine attributes. This morning, we're not looking at God from 10,000 feet up and 10,000 feet away. We're going to look at God face to face and see how close he is to all of us. Well, please go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them this morning to Psalm 23, and we'll look at this beautiful passage. One of the first things that you notice, if you're looking in the ESV, the NIV, most other translations have the same notation right after Psalm 23, that this is the Psalm of David. If you don't know, David has like the craziest resume of just about anybody in the whole Bible. I mean, if he was applying for a job, he has the life experience to get anything. I mean, he was a shepherd boy. He tended his dad's flocks around the hills in Bethlehem. And then while he was still young, maybe like 14 to 16 years old, he's delivering food to his brothers who are on a battlefield. And there's this giant who's cursing God and mocking God in front of the whole army of Israel. And nobody's standing up to him and nobody's taking him on. And so David looks at how God has impacted his own life and says, God's got this. He picks up a stone and slings it around, 
hits the giant in the head, takes him out. You can bet he grew quite famous after that. And because of that, he was brought into the court of the king and he became a bard because he knew how to play the harp and sing. And he played harp and sang before the king. And in time, when he was older, he became a great warrior of his own right. And the king grew very jealous of him, made him an outcast, made him a rebel, made him a fugitive. It chased him all around the country trying to kill him. Then finally, after the army of Israel suffered a great defeat at the hands of the Philistines, and King Saul died in the battle, David, as the gods anointed, became king himself over all Israel. This guy's life experience like trumps anyone else's, as far as I'm concerned. We don't know exactly when he wrote this psalm, but I suspect it was at least during or after that time that he spent in the wilderness as a fugitive. And I'm sure during that time when he spent nights alone in caves in the wilderness, he was reminded of times where he spent nights alone in the fields tending his sheep. And so David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The second thing that we should notice when reading this psalm is all of the beautiful imagery that's going on in the psalm. David paints this portrait of God as our shepherd and our host. And because God is our shepherd and our host, we have confidence to rely upon him and rest with him in his goodness and his mercy. And so you may be asking yourself, Jesus is no longer present with us. I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't physically follow him and do what he did. So how does God shepherd us today? The answer, I believe, is through the word of God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible itself testifies to this in many places throughout scripture. I just picked three of them just to show you what the Bible says about himself on this topic. Psalm 119 uh, is all about the law of God. It's all about God's word. All about how God directs his people. And in that Psalm, in verse 105, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the word of God directs us. It guides us and we can follow it as it shows us 
how to live our lives. Proverbs 6.23, similarly, Solomon says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. You can see the same theme there that's going on in Psalm 119.105. In the New Testament, we have the same teaching, and we see it in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, where Paul writes to his disciple Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, church, in order for God to lead us through his scripture, we have got to know his scripture. And we've got to study it. This is more than just a a cursory glance in the morning or in the evening. We need to get down with the word and study it, to know what it says, to know what God is talking about in these passages, in these memory verses that we have stuck in our heads from time in Awana or Sunday school or VBS or wherever you may have learned scripture. In her book, Women of the Word, Jen Wilkin describes this need for biblical literacy. That's what she calls it. It's this idea that we should not only learn the word, but learn what it says in the whole biblical narrative from front to back so that we can understand it better and interpret it better. Here's a quote of what she says. We all carry around dim discomfort of our not knowing, feeling it surge to the surface when we enter into conversations with the unbeliever. The friend in our small group, the wise older woman. Sometimes when a category on Jeopardy covers a biblical topic, we experience a moment of sheer panic when Alex Trebek knows his way around our sacred text better than we do. We would be hard pressed to name the 12 apostles or to give an order of the count of creation. We have heard of Tamar, but was she a positive example or a negative one? When two preachers we love take differing positions on the same passage of scripture, we are thrown into utter confusion. But what can we do to know our Bible better? We've already begun to answer that question of what makes for sound Bible study. Sound Bible study transforms the heart by training the mind, and it places God at the center of the story. But sound Bible study does more than that. It leaves the student with a better understanding of the Bible than when they started. So as God shepherds us through the scriptures and we learn it, we can use resources like this, like, I've got it here, if anybody wants to see it after the sermon, Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word. Um, We can use resources like this to help us understand and study scripture. My friend uh, Matt Lindahl says that this book should really be titled People of the Word, not Women of the Word, because it has very sound biblical principles within it. It's really just the last three chapters that are primarily directed towards women. 
And if you would like to pick it up or, or learn to read the Bible and study it, but don't want to read Women of the Word, um, another good one that I know of is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Very good, sound biblical principles in both of those books that we can learn and study the scriptures and learn the whole narrative of scripture and what God is doing throughout his story. This is the first way that God shepherds us. He shepherds us through his scriptures. He feeds us with it. He teaches us his way. These are the green fields of God's provision that David is talking of in the psalm. And when we meditate on them, the scriptures, when we fill our minds with the word of God and we think about the things of God, they're illuminated in our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we've got to read the Bible the right way. It's not a magic eight ball where you have an issue going on in your life, some, some job that you're wondering, should I go after that job? Should I go after that person to date? Should I move to this city or that? You can't just go to the Bible, flip through it, point to a passage and read it, or you'll end up reading something like Judas hanged himself on a tree. It's an extreme example, but that's the one that just about every part of my brain goes to when I'm thinking about it, because I used to do that when I was a kid. When I was learning to study the Bible, I didn't know any better. Where do you start? You start at the beginning, you get to Leviticus, and you just stop because that's crazy, and it's very boring and dull. And so you do what I did, and you skip to the end and go to Revelation, and that's even crazier. The Word of God is not a box to check in the morning or in the evening. It's not something that you should just read because you have to. It's something that you should study because God teaches you of himself. It's the very word of God that God uses to transform us. That's the first point. The second point, God restores us with his word. You see, after you've studied the word of God, after you've memorized it, and you have these verses in your head, and you have this context in your head, God will bring those moments to light when you need it the most. When you're in that conversation with your coworker who doesn't know about Jesus, and they say something, and God just flashes a verse in your head, a passage of scripture, or a story of what he has done that relates to what they're going through. I can't tell you how many times I have been broken over my sin. And Romans 8, 1 and 2 has just popped into my head. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in the law of sin and death. Or Psalm 51, 10, where David has been confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan after he's gone in and had an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba and then sent her husband to the front line of battle so that he would die there. And he cries out after 
being confronted with his sin, verse 50, chapter 51, 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore a right spirit within me. Church, if we know the scriptures, God will put it in your head when you need it the most. And the Holy Spirit will work in your life and in your heart to help you to understand it, to grasp it, and to use it. That's point two. The Spirit also works in our lives where we are right now. And I think Psalm 23 shows us at least three ways that he does this. If we look back at the scripture, looking at verse four, David is writing and he's gone through verses one and two and we see his tone of voice change in verse four. See, in verses one, two, and three, it is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths into green fields. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But look at verse four. It's different. Though I walked through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. He is with us right here, right now. And he is with us in the valley. A direct translation of this in the Hebrew would read more like the valley of deep darkness. And how many times have you been in a valley of deep darkness in your life? If you haven't yet, you will. Whether it's the death of a family member or a, a bout of depression, the loss of a job, a spout with a friend that just throws you into the depths of darkness in your heart. But God is there with you in those times. It is not a matter of if you will walk in the valley of the shadow of death. It is when you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And when you do, he is with you. And he will comfort you. He will be your provision. He will lead you out. And we can talk to him while we are there. He is with us through the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing that he said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. It's recorded in Matthew 28. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a promise that we can hold on to. We don't have to wonder where he is when we're in these times. We just have to look and trust that he is there with us and talk to him. Cry out to him in prayer because he will deliver you. And it might not look like deliverance at the time, but I promise you he's leading you out of the valley. 
That's point number one of how God shepherds us today, right here, right now, through his spirit. Number two, the very next verse, verse five, God pursues us with grace and mercy. When speaking of this verse uh, in a sermon I heard from John Piper years ago, he said in that sermon that he thought a better translation of the word uh, or of the verse would read more like, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Or perhaps surely goodness and mercy will chase after me all the days of my life. How does he do that? Jesus told a parable that relates to this. Luke 15, verse four through seven. He's talking to sheep. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls all his friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's not just in the valleys that he chases after us. It's when we wander. It's when we lose our way. And he reminds us that he is the good shepherd. In John 10, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. In that, he's talking about both the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews who would become Christians and follow after him as sheep, and the Gentiles who were not of the flock of Abraham who would then be brought in. That's us. And he is our good shepherd, and he does chase after us, and he does pursue us. And when he does, we hear his voice and we come back to him. And so he pursues us all the days of our life with goodness and with mercy. Number three, Jesus has prepared a place to spend forever with him. The psalmist says, that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus tells us that he's gonna prepare that place. In John 14, verses two and three, he's talking to his disciples just before he goes to the crucifixion. And he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, 
where, that where I am, you also may be. See, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he started that work. His work on earth was finished at the cross and the resurrection. He completed it. And then he went to, to begin a new work in heaven, preparing our place, sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating on our behalf. And he is there right now doing just that as he draws us to himself. And he has left his Holy Spirit here with us. His Spirit guides us, directs us, comforts us. His Spirit is present with us always in this room right now. And when you go out in your cars, when you're in your valleys, he is there. And he's preparing a place for us and bringing us to himself. For those of us in Christ Jesus, those of us who follow after him as our shepherd, our place is secure. It is certain. The global church is his flock. And one day he will call us all home. Whether that is through the doors of death or if we're called up together with him in the clouds. We don't have to fear the trials of this world. We don't have to fear the pain of this world, the death in this world, because he is with us, because his word teaches us, because he comforts us, restores us, because he draws us back to himself and chases after us with goodness and mercy. He's not a thousand miles away. He's not 10,000 miles away. Yes, he is vast. He is great. And he is so unlike us in his attributes that we can hardly relate to him. But he is also near. He is also personable. He hears you when you call. He cares about you when you talk to him. He cares about your need and your sin when you call upon him for forgiveness and repentance. He chases after us and pursues us with his grace and his mercy. He is so good to us. I'd like to close this morning with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I'll go ahead and invite the band back up. And I want this quote to lead us into our time of reflection. Here's what he says. Behold, how independent of outward circumstances the Holy Ghost can make the Christian. What a bright light may shine within us when it is all dark without how firm, how happy, how calm, how peaceful we may be when the world shakes to and fro and the pillars of earth are removed. Even death itself, with all its terrible influences, has no power to suspend the music of a Christian's heart. 
but rather makes that music become more sweet, more clear, more heavenly, till the last kind act which death can do is to let the earthly strain melt away into the heavenly chorus. The temporal joy into the eternal bliss. Let us have confidence then in the blessed Spirit's power to comfort us. Dear church, are you looking forward to a time of poverty? Fear not. The divine Spirit can give you in your want a greater plenty than the rich have in their abundance. You know not what joys may be stored up for you in the cottage, around which grace will plant the roses of content. Are the eyes growing dim? Jesus will be your light. Do the ears fail you? Jesus' name will be your soul's best music. And his person, your dear delight. In thee, my God, my heart shall triumph. Come what may of ills without. By thy power, O blessed spirit, my heart shall be exceedingly glad. And though all things should fail me here below, you are with me. What beautiful words. As we move into a time of reflection, church, think about your life and how God has shepherded you up to this point. Think about times in your life where you can see him leading you through and out of the valley or sitting with you in despair, crying with you, rejoicing with you in the good times, mourning with you in the bad. Church, he's here. He is personable and he cares for us and loves us. And because of that, we have the confidence to rely on him and rest in his mercy and his grace. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I invite you, please come and talk to one of the leaders here. Come and talk to a small group leader. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Kevin, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Theo. We would love to tell you about Jesus and all the things that he has done. 